not. Some people wish they had one. We know those people. Well, I'm just thrilled you got up this morning. How many of you had a snorer in your room last night? How many of you just want to rebuke them in tongues right now? Yeah, I know what you mean. Now, I heard a lot of laughter near me, and I was trying to sleep. I got in bed by 11, said I'm going to be fresh this morning. Somebody was having fun for a long time, and I couldn't sleep because they were having fun. So you ain't going to sleep because I'm going to have fun today. So if anybody sleeps, just slap them in the spirit and just say, you get alert because you kept this girl up because I don't know who it is, and don't come and confess. You don't have to do that today. But I'm just glad to be here. Uh, I hope we tape that introduction. I'm afraid we did not uh, so that uh, I can play. Betsy usually introduces me as either the worm or, you know, the southern girl or something. Then she'll say, well, June is this mighty woman of God just flows in the spirit and is a Proverbs 31. And I feel like a Proverbs one and a half by the time we're done. So, you know, I see that the Lord finally got a hold of her heart and she saw reality. But, 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 but seriously. Now, this afternoon, let me just say this. This afternoon, we begin at two. We're going to have uh, one song from Saxophone Girl over here. And um, she's my best girlfriend. I can call her that. We just tell her in church to play safe sax. But, but <laughs> I, I, just, I just want to get you warmed up a little here. Don't, don't get offended by that. It's not the C word, okay? <laughs> and then I'm going to get right into the word, and I know we're tired. This is the point in the retreat where we start singing a cappella. I'm exhausted. How many of you just feel that song in your spirit this morning? So what I want you to do is we'll have you out here at 3.30 unless God so moves we're all slain the Spirit and we'll get rest that way. Will that work for you? And we're going to get right into it so you can rest and be fresh because I know we want to receive from uh, Marianne Brown tonight. So uh, if you can, just try to pull yourself up and, uh, and I, I think we'll be all right. Now, before I begin the <clears throat> message, uh, Amy will play a saxophone solo this afternoon and then we'll get right into the Word. And she probably won't like it because I, I've done this, but I know she operates in forgiveness and works with hospice, so she's compassionate. But <laughs> I was not here yesterday morning. I could not be. But how many of you who were heard her play on the saxophone? Amy, at the end, one of her keys stuck for the last minute of the song, and she was like, it sounded horrible, horrible, horrible. And the devil wants her to think she didn't minister. How many of you were released in the spirit because Amy ministered? <laughs> Stand up, give her applause, hallelujah. Now, I did not do that for any reason except to tell you the devil's a liar. People were released in worship, and if the key's stuck, God can work with a stuck key, and you're the only one who heard it, amen? All right. I've listened to preachers on stuck keys that, you know, that, that, that gets hard. That gets hard. Okay, turn with me, please, to Psalm 137. 137. 137. 137, beginning with verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. For there on the willow trees we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill, and may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Now, Father, as we look into your word this morning, I call our spirits to attention, Lord. We do not need another message. We do not need another woman to speak to us. We need God to speak to us today. 
So, Father, I pray that right now, through the tiredness and all of the things that, that we've already processed in our minds and we're so overfull, in the name of Jesus, let every woman get her portion. As I bring forth this word, I pray for an anointing on me and on them. A mouth to speak, but an ear to hear. And every woman at some point will say, that's my portion today. That's my portion. And so, Lord, we open ourselves up for manna from heaven, our portion today. So that when we leave this place, the devil is a liar. He has been terrorized. And the women of God can have fullness of joy. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're ready to terrorize the devil? Let's do it. Now, when we look at people, we just kind of size them up. And as women, we especially, I think we look at people and we size them up because you know how we are. Um, some of you are already looking me from head to toe and say, I don't, I don't know if I like that blue on her. Well, I, did, I didn't wear it for you. But, but uh, some of you are just saying, well, you know, I, uh, like some of the retreats I do, they'll think they'll hear me talk about my husband. And so I had done a retreat at... Uh, several times at a church, and we went back to do a marriage retreat together. And this woman had said, I've never seen her husband, but I'm sure he's about 6'4", because I'm a fairly tall woman. I'm sure, I think he played football in college. have no idea where the Spirit of the Lord gave her that, because I certainly did not. And we walked in, and they said, oh, my goodness, that woman said. My husband is about as tall as I am when I have these heels on. He's, just, he's pretty bald now. Uh, I learned, I, I used to pray for a man with a full head of hair when I married him. But I've learned, ladies, be more specific with God and may he keep it forever. So you have, you have to learn to pray more specifically, see. But we just kind of size people up and we look at them, you know. We, we look at their clothes and, and how impeccably they're dressed or not dressed or what were they thinking when they walked out. And, you know, you want to put them on that program on TV where they redress them. Is there anybody in my house today that, you know, you just kind of want to do that? Now, when you look at me and you see this powerful, mighty, anointed woman of God... Some of you laughed in the wrong place, but we'll forgive you right now, okay? <laughs> but most of you really know very little about me. Now, I think some of you think that, uh, especially we as speakers, just because we have an upfront position, that we sit at home and we read our Bible 24 hours a day. Uh, we pray another 24 in the same day. We, uh, we have perfect homes. We don't get upset. My hair looks good when I wake up. My makeup's absolutely in place when I wake up. Everything's high and lifted up even though I'm 55. Nothing has fallen down. I mean, you know, we just kind of look at people and we think certain things. Now, Dr. Marion Brown is in here and June Evans, who's always impeccable, but I'm just going to be me today because I'm going to be a little untheological here for a minute. But when I go through the grocery line, I read magazines too, but I buy them. I, I buy the one that says you can lose 20 pounds in two weeks while you eat Hershey's chocolate and sleep. Now, I want that article. Is anybody feeling my anointing today? I just want it. I mean, some of you know that God has anointed me and I've composed a song that will be sung till the heavens. No diets, no diets up there. No extra larges to wear. And all day buffets in that land. No extra larges, no hips like barges, one size fits all in that land. Now, how many are just feeling my anointing today? Now, I buy these books, and I take, I take home tons of books of how somebody lost 20 pounds in two weeks. I buy them, I keep them. They say, go to the store, Benton Shops, and just put those magazines there. Now, I watch Christian TV, but I watch secular TV. And in the secular TV, I have a couple of programs I used to watch. I used to watch and love Law and Order Special Victims Unit, but now they're so political against everything God stands for, I've just had to turn them off and stop watching them. But my favorite program, now don't faint and fall out, and, because one guy told me that the name was unchristian, is I like American Idol. I just like to watch it. Thank God for TiVo. When I was on a cruise two weeks ago, I came home and American Idol was waiting on me. 
I just like to watch these people compete and these people who came from nothing and, and the ones who think they have the gift of singing, but they don't. Do you have any of those in your church? Yeah. And so I, I just love to watch this program, and I get fascinated with it. My favorite one ever was Clay Aiken. I went to see him in concert. Amy and I went to see him in concert. Paid 50 bucks to go see him because I just wanted to go see him. Everybody in there was white-headed except Amy and I. That's because I color my hair. <laughs> but, I mean, I just really enjoy hearing Clay Aiken sing. I mean, it doesn't matter to me that you don't like him. I just enjoy I bought his CD, wanted to help the boy because I just liked him. My son surprised me on one of my birthdays and took me to a Celine Dion concert. It was just incredible because, you know, not a lot of men go to her concerts, and so there's not a lot of drinking. I'm not to say that women don't, but I'm just talking about there's not the party effect that you'd find at Buzz, but I just loved going and watching Celine Dion. And so uh, there are things like that that uh, I really enjoy doing that you might not consider spiritual because I like music. I just like music. I like spiritual music. I like some secular music. Now, the thing that surprised when my husband was a pastor for 35 years, and the thing that surprised most of my congregation and is I probably don't look like this type, but I love to go to the Waffle House. Does anybody else like to go to the Waffle And in Florida, it's non-smoking, so it's really good. It's greasy still, and, you know, slime on the windows, but it's still good here. <laughs> See, and where I live now, it's real smoky, so it's not enjoyable to go. And the reason I like to go to the Waffle House is I like to get a cup of coffee, and they have 50s, 60s music on their jukebox. And I like to go in there, and I like to play, I like that old-time rock and roll. <laughs> the kind of music just feels my... I mean, you know, don't get offended by that. I just really like that song. And I like to play Percy Sledge, that when a man loves a woman. And honey, I'll go in, and you know you can get six songs for a dollar. It's one of the best investments when everybody in church has made you mad and life ain't going. Go to the Waffle House, have a cup of coffee, play the jukebox, and just enjoy life. But see, I just enjoy life. I just enjoy doing that kind of thing. And, and, and yes, I like fine restaurants, but I like cheese grits, a cup of coffee, and the jukebox. It just doesn't get any better than that. Now, my children who are 30, 32, and 34 do not cannot believe I have an iPod and they don't. How many of you have no idea what an iPod is? Oh, you do. I carry my iPod. If you were next door to me this morning, we woke you up about 5.30 playing music. Could I just take it with me? Because I just love music. There's something about a song. And when I got saved, what happened to me was, and I'm not going to go into all this. My testimony is back on the table. Some of you know where I came from. Others of you don't. Uh, I wish I could tell you I had a wonderful upbringing because I think that's a wonderful thing to have, but I had a horrible one. But Jesus Christ found me. We say we found him, but he found me. And I mean he really found me. And then when he found me, he put a new song in my mouth, as the psalmist says. And yes, I like Percy Sledge, and yes, I like some of these things, but God, as the psalmist said, just put a new song in my mouth. Now, when I started this thing, and this woman began to take me to church, and I'd never been to church, and, and I was uh, in this old uh, Pentecostal in those days, Assembly of God church that, that God just put in my path. And that was in the day when they sang things like, uh, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. You'd clear the church if you sang that. Now, I'm not going to go another stanza for just for that reason. We sang songs like, Jesus, hold my hand, I need thee every hour. But let me tell you, those people sang. And they would sing those things, and they would sing for 40, 50 minutes. They'd raise their hands, they'd clap, they'd stomp their feet. They would sing. There was a song in that house. Now, I married a pastor, and... Uh, and as time progressed, we moved into the contemporary, which is my preference for 90% of the time I like that and throw in a little of the old with it. But then we got into some of these newer songs that I really love. Uh, we sang one of my favorites this morning, When I Think About the Lord. Because if you can't get a song, if you think about Him, you can get a song. And I just think about that. 
And uh, we, sing, we sang things like this. Now, I'm going to give my body for the gospel this morning. We would sing, th- sing things like this. We'd lay on the floor, and we would sing, Better is one day in your courts. there. The Holy Spirit just brought me that in the middle of the night. (laughs) The Holy Spirit just brought me that in the middle of the night and said, I want you to do this. I said, all right. Now, if you would ask me who my favorite singer is, I would tell you I am. Not because I have a great voice, but don't you just love to get in your car and start to sing the praises of God, and you're sitting at a traffic light, and everybody else is in road rage, stressed out, and you can sing, and the worship leader doesn't tell you how many times to sing what line. And I'll just be sitting in that car, and I'll go, Oh, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, oh, hallelujah, I exalt thee. So I am my favorite singer because I can sing a song to him and I can get up where I want to go. And I'm just sitting there. So I'm just a woman who has loved music. I love the music of God. Now, God put a new song in my mouth. And I have a song for the Lord, but I want to switch gears on you a little bit and say my song has been tested a few times. Because how many of you know it's easier to sing a song than be a song? It's easier to sing a song than walk a song. As I like to say, that thing sings a whole lot better than it walks. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got. Yeah, right. And my song has been tested a few times. And I want you to let your imagination go with me this morning for just a moment. I want you to imagine that in the back of that sanctuary through those doors, armed guards come in with their machine guns and their uniforms, and they come in and they say, this worship service is over. And they begin to herd us out, and if we had any men brave enough to be here, they would take the men and they would put them in one direction, and they would take the women in another direction, and then they would separate the children in another direction. And we had just been in the middle of singing worship that when I think about the Lord, and they begin to herd us out and put us in there, and they're about to take us somewhere far from our homeland. They're about to take us far from everything we know. They're taking us from every comfort zone we know spiritually and otherwise, and they take us away, and we are shaking as they have torn our children from us and as they've torn our loved ones, and we don't even know where we're going. And then they look at us and say, Now, what, what was that song you were singing? Let me hear you sing it now. That is Psalm 137. It is the psalm of captivity, if you will. It is a song that that some uh, uh, God's people, and we won't go into all the historical details of it, but but God's people had been a, a people who had always sung. That's what the Psalms are about. They had always sung and and they would lift their voices and they would declare the greatness of this God that we serve. And they would say He is God over everything. And they would say He delivers us from our captors. And they would say all those things. And the enemy heard the song. And then when they go into this place where they are torn from the landscape that they had been accustomed, no longer in their church, if you will, because it is now in ruins, and they're taken to this place, and the enemy says, now what was that song you were singing a minute ago? Could you sing it again about that great God who will cause you to have victory over your captors? Now how does that come down to where you and I live? Well, let let me really flesh it out for you. The doctor calls you and I've had this done, and my son has also had it done, and he says, I'm sorry to tell you, it's cancer. And the enemy will come to you, and he'll say, now let me hear you sing that song about that healer now. Let me hear you sing that song about how much you love him and exalt him now. Or let's suppose that you get home, and your husband comes to you, and he says, I just don't want to be here anymore. I just don't want to be with you anymore. 
And the enemy will come to your ears and he will say, let me hear you sing that song now. About that God of yours who will bring you through everything. Or let's suppose that you get a call from the police and they say, we have your child here and your child was caught with marijuana and cocaine tonight and you hang that phone up trembling as a mother and the enemy comes to you and says, let me hear you that song again from Proverbs that if you train a child in the way that is right, let me hear you sing that song now. Or you're in a wonderful church and God is moving and the Holy Spirit is doing things and all of a sudden you find out that a third of them have left to start another church and that they are, and that then you can't have fellowship, you can't talk to each other, there's a mad group, everybody's trying to pull each other. And he says, now let me hear you sing that song now. And this is the position that these people were in. Where the enemy would come to them and he would say, uh, let, me, let, me, let me hear you sing that song. Because see, what happens is we are sometimes right here with God and in a blink of an eye and a clap of a hand, life changes. Has anybody ever had that happen? Life changes. It's all not what it was. And the song that we were singing becomes a thing where we're having to say, let, let, let me hear you sing that song now. Now, let me just specify something, and then I'm going to give you some absolutes you can take home with you. There is a difference between singing and having a song. My husband has a song the boyfriend cannot sing. I became a worship leader because I never would stand up in front of people. My husband tried to lead one song, and after that I said, God, flesh or spirit, I'll get up and be a worship leader. If you were to go into a post office and see a wanted for singing poster, his picture would be on it. But my husband, in 36 years of marriage, I've never seen him lose a song, ever. Ever. I told him, you're not normal. He said, I know. I'm supernatural. And I have watched my husband through church splits. I have watched my husband with a cancerous child. I have watched my husband go through a variety of things with his own family. I have watched us go through things. And he said, I believe God. I trust God. I'm going to follow God. I have never seen him lose his song. For though he is not a singer, he has never lost his song. Now, girlfriends, as we look at this this morning, I want to tell you I see three groups in the church. Three groups in traveling. The first group I see as I travel and talk to a lot of people and in my local church, I see three groups, and the first group is those who are resigned. Well, this is just the way it's always going to be. I'm just trying to hold on till I can get to heaven because ain't nothing going to change. My husband ain't never served God. He never is going to serve God. And I know I'm talking all grammatically incorrect, and I know the right way to do it, so just work with me here, okay? But they're just resigned. They have no faith for anything. Well, my church is never going to have a move of God. Well, my, my situation is never going to change. I'm always going to be poor in despair. And they're just resigned to life. Now, I counsel with a lot of women like that. Now, I'm not as sweet as June Evans is. Can, how many of you can tell that? Now, <clears throat> no, but seriously. Sometimes I don't want to pray for them. I want to shake them. You say, let your faith arise in this God you sing about. His hand is not shortened that it cannot touch my child. And may I just go ahead and declare to you, hell will not have one of my sons. I have prayed over one of them for 10 years to get him out of a bar. And I'm here to tell you two years later, that boy's out of a bar, got another job, doing wonderful. And I'm telling you, this mama ain't letting hell have any of her children. Now listen, some of us stand around, Oh, nothing's ever going to change. We need to get a song back. That there is nothing impossible with God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He will be with me. Because I'm going to walk through it. 
And it doesn't matter if he hasn't healed me yet. I still proclaim he is God the healer. It doesn't matter if my bank account's not large. I've never seen the righteous forsaken and a seed out begging for bread. And all we got to do is look at our weight and tell us God's fed every single one of us. Can you say amen today? But they're just people who just resign. Oh, God's never going to do it. That's not faith. And the enemy says, well, let, let, me hear, let me hear you sing that song. Well, I would, but it won't do any good. Nothing's ever going to happen. See, the Bible says very clearly in one place, the, the word had to be mingled with faith. Now, we had a fabulous service yesterday, and I just want to tell you, I've heard both of these women speak many times. The word was absolutely unbelievable this weekend so far. Unbelievable. But listen to me. Do you think that's not going to be challenged when you walk out of here? The Lord said there's a tent in your yard and, and the devil's in it and it's going to go home. And some of us going to say, oh, Lord, the tent is still there. It ain't never going to go away. See, because we can't be a people resigned. We remember with faith and say, you know, tent, you can keep staring me in the face. But my God said that thing was gone and I'm standing in it until it's moved. You will not have this dwelling place. We got to put our big girl panties on sometimes. I'm glad it's all girls. I'm at a size and age. I wear drawers now. Is anybody else with me in the house? And we crumble. We're going we're to bind the spirit over the whole city. Come on. We can't even get out of bed if it didn't happen like we thought yesterday afternoon. Love you, mean it. But some people just resign. God's not going to do anything. It's hopeless. And they just give up. The second, if they aren't resigned, are those who live in regret the rest of their lives. Now, is anybody in here, has anyone in here ever made a decision that you wish you had not made? We're having repentance for liars at the end of this. We all have. I have made some bad decisions. And early in ministry, we were kidding. We were at the Waffle House the other night after church here. And we were sitting there and... Uh, we were talking about me being a pastor's wife for many years, and these folks, most of them knew me, and I said, I was horrible at the first two churches. And somebody said, well, you mean you weren't at the last two? I, I don't know what they meant by that. <laughs> but I was. I was horrible because I'd never grown up, didn't know squat, didn't know what I was doing, didn't know how to deal with people. And I'm here to tell you, and I don't have to say this, and I'm not paid to say this, wow, grew me up. And I went from little cotton underwear to big girl panties. And I learned how to treat God's people. I learned how to be patient with God's people. I learned how to walk in faith. And it was through the teaching of this ministry, because I'd never found strong enough women who knew how to do anything but look down and bake a cake. And I don't mean that offensively. But I don't like to do either. I can bring home a cake mix and put it in the pan, but why should I do it when Publix can? I mean, that's just the way I feel about it. Now listen to me. So there are many people who live in regret. They regret who, who they married. Oh, I just wish I had married him. They regret who they didn't marry. Oh, I wish I had married him. People ask me, the guy I went with for the longest before I uh, married my husband, he's the pastor of a humongous church now. <gasps> Think where you would have been. I said baking cakes and looking down. Because my boyfriend was who God had to bring me to what you see today. He was one of those factors. For some people, they just live in regret. Well, I, I wish I hadn't done this, and I wish I hadn't done that. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. They are new every morning. He gives us another chance. Baby, it ain't over, and the enemy's going to come and challenge your son. Well, you might as well not even try anymore. Look where you messed up, and everybody saw it. Everybody heard that stuck key. Everybody. <laughs> you can never play again. They, they, you know, I tell you what, I wish I could burn every tape from my early years in ministry. I saw somebody in Iowa that I couldn't believe in a little tiny place, and they said, uh, somebody gave me tapes when they used to live in North Carolina, and she drove 100 miles from a little cornfield city to come and hear me. And she said, and I said, if you'll give me the tape back, I'll give you 10 in the place of it. Because <laughs> I wear big girl panties now. 
And I'm here to tell you there are people who live in regret. I wish I could change the way I did pastor's wifing in the beginning. I wish I could change some of the ways I reared my children in the beginning. But I'm here to tell you God can redeem what the locust has eaten. And some of us are sitting here, oh, but if I hadn't done this, yes, there's some things that can't change. But you don't have to end this thing like you started it. You don't have to hang there. And the enemy would like for you to say, you can't ever move on. Can't ever move on. Can't ever move on. You messed up. You said this. You did that. And I'm here to tell you, be released from that in the name of Jesus. You have new mercy today. You have new anointing. You have new grace. You have new opportunities. And you begin to walk in that and walk a song. I'm going to try to calm down and be a good girl. Group three. If they aren't resigned and they aren't regretting, they are rejoicing. I love that group. Now, here's what we do sometimes with that group. Well, she's just never really had life. I'll show you my scars if you show me yours. How can I do anything but sing? And there are some people who have just learned to rejoice in the Lord always, who have learned to say, devil, you will not have my song. Life, you will not have my song. Church, you will not have my song. Pastor, you will not have my song. And I don't mean that offensively, but we get all these aliens in our big girl panties and we can't sing. And he is saying, rejoice, rejoice. And again I say, and again I say, rejoice. Let me tell you something. Ain't no rock going to take my place. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to walk over in the portals of glory singing about who he is. Because I'm here to tell you, I don't want to go into heaven as a grouch. What, about, what if Jesus took you in the middle of that and you walked over there as we talked about complaining last night? Well, Lord, I would have been here sooner, but you know. Well, I would have done that, but it was that pastor you gave me. If he takes me, I want a song in my life. I want a song in my life, and they've just learned to rejoice. So Israel finds themselves in a place where they have lost their song. Now, here, look what the Word says. They hung their harps. Now, I understand there's another whole different angle to teach from this, so don't come up and tell me later what it means, okay? Because I, I know that, but we're going to do it this way because it's my sermon and I can. <laughs> it doesn't say the enemy took their harp from them. It doesn't say that as they walked through, it said all harps here. It says they looked around in that place where they found themselves and they said, I'm just going to hang this thing up. You ever been there? I, I love honesty. I have been there. I haven't done it, but I have been there where I've said, you know what? Sometimes I just want to hang this thing up. And they chose to hang up the thing that was their song. Now I want to ask you a question. When they were in that place, was he not the same God who had opened the Red Sea? When they walked into that place, was he not the same God that sent fire down on Mount Carmel? Was he not the same God that put water out of a rock when they needed drink? Was he not the same God, the same God, the same God? You serve the same God. And let me just tell you one other thing. I love testimonies like we heard last night where a knee was healed or someone was telling me about another one in a church where a young man had been brain dead, I think it was, and, and then his life came back into him. The doctors were astounded and had no answer. But I want my own story. We stand and oh, hallelujah, that's wonderful. Oh, yes, glory to God. He's the same God. He's the same God. If you can walk a song, you can pray a song, you can stand in warfare, you can do what you need. I want my own children saved, not just clapping over yours. I want my own church in revival, not just clapping over yours. I want God to move in my life. I want a testimony of the goodness and the power of God in my own life. And so they had forgotten this same God, and they got discouraged. Now listen to me. This is a take-or-homer statement. God is not the author of discouragement. 
He is not. I did not say you would never get discouraged. I said God is never the author of discouragement. And we need to understand that because God is just the opposite. God is the one who comes on the scene and he imparts to us who he is. He is not discouraged. He he is the author of faith. God doesn't look at your church and say, Oh, angels, I don't think we can ever do anything there. He doesn't look at your child and say, This one's got unreachable. God is the author of faith. And if you are God's daughter, you will have fullness of joy when you understand that that feeling that comes in called discouragement. Now listen, we'd all be in the penitentiary if we lived by feelings. Let's get, let's get real. You mess with my little granddaughter Madison, I will hurt you, and that is called assault in the United States of America. So if we went by our feelings, we'd all be in the penitentiary. Now, God's people walk by faith. It doesn't mean feelings will never come in. Now, I make a joke about it, but I'm here to tell you there have been people in the church I've wanted to slap. Has anybody been in the house with me before? And you've heard me say it. Some people in the church are so mean, I could slap them and God would say amen. Here's my, here's my point. Listen. God doesn't want us walking like that. We understand that's not from God. And what does God say about my life? And as we begin to walk that out, and we begin to proclaim that, and God authors that faith in us, and we rise up, we can be not only full of joy, but women who can see God turn things around. But you'll never do it if you go by your feelings. You just won't do it. And so God is the author of faith. Now, the best thing I can leave my children is that I taught them faith. I can straighten their teeth, and I did that. I can buy them clothes, and I did that. But I want my boys to say, you wouldn't believe the things we've watched my mom and dad come through, and they always had faith. Did I tell you I have a granddaughter named Madison? <laughs> I have three boys that I raised. Hallelujah. I'm like June. Somebody said, did you have empty nests? I said, are you kidding? We went on a cruise and threw a party when the last one left. you got to be kidding. <laughs> and they don't connect usually like females do. And my boys are good, but they'll want to come home. They want me to feed them. Then they want to burp and watch TV and not do a thing with me. But my granddaughter... She loveth me. I've made sure that she loveth me. She called me since I was here and said, I want to talk to my granny. And somebody said, you don't look like a granny. I said, I'm changing the way they look. The next granny you see is going to look more like this. But she just called me to talk to me. But can I tell you something about her? We prayed a long time for her because my daughter and I had a hard time conceiving. We wanted grandchildren, and we were hoping to get them while we could still focus enough to see what their faces look like. (laughs) And my daughter-in-law was in her 30s, and uh, she was, you know, having, had been trying to conceive for a long time, and my son called me, and he would talk about how she was crying, and and I said, well, son, let's, let's just have faith, because God can cause Elisa to conceive. And if he doesn't do that, because I'm a believer in this, because I wouldn't be here if a woman hadn't taken me under her wing, then there'll be some child out there for you to adopt because God's got a call on their life. I think I said her life because I want him to understand things. Her life. (laughs) I said, but we're going to pray for God to allow her to conceive. Well, she conceived, and and, uh, then Madison was born nine months later. And when she was born... After about two weeks, they begin to notice that one eye was one color and one was the other. Now, some people are just born like that, and they stay like that. But they begin to plant these fears in my son, and, and I don't remember the name of the tumor. I'm sure Amy could tell us, but there's a tumor that can be behind an eye when it's a different color from the other one, and it's children who usually have this. And they had told him all this stuff, and she was going to have to be tested and go to a pediatric ophthalmologist. And my son called me, and he said, Mom, I'm just really afraid. And I said, son, 
your mom and daddy have faith. We prayed for that girl. We prayed for her. And the same God who caused her to be conceived and knit her in her mother's womb is the same God that can make both of those eyes the right color and do whatever he needs. Now listen to me. I wanted to pass faith to him. I didn't want to rehearse the thing. Well, son, if it happens to be this, well, maybe we can do this. Now listen, whatever bridge I need to cross, my God is there. But I want to speak faith to my children. They're grown men now, and I don't want them to now go out in life and think that their mom and dad no longer have faith. In a period, I, I, we don't have time for the whole story, but in just a period of a little, uh, a few weeks or so, Madison's eye began to change colors. They checked it, and they said there's no tumor back there, but, but her vision is terrible in that eye, and she will always have to wear glasses. There's nothing wrong with glasses, nothing at all. And uh, so he called me and they said, well, as soon as she's, you know, old enough not to pull them off the face, she's going to have to wear glasses. And I said, well, son, if I trust God, but let's pray that God will complete the healing. And it was just a period of time, but they called us the other day because they're getting ready to move from Wisconsin, so I know there's a God in heaven. <laughs> going to be a professor at LSU, and I, he'll be near me now, Hallelujah. I mean, I don't care about them, but, you know. <laughs> but listen to me. They called me the other day because they have free medical care up there, and they said, we took her for her last appointment. Her eyes are 20-20 in both. And they're blue like grannies. They're blue like grannies. Now, listen. Can I tell you it always works out like that? No. But if her vision wasn't right today, I would still have faith and pass it on to my children to say, it ain't over till God says it's over. And we need to be people who let God's faith arise in us when it looks bleak. And this is where these people were, and, and, and I understand the catastrophe that they found themselves in. Now, I want to ask you this morning, don't nod your head, don't point to the girl next to you, but what I want to ask you is, have you lost your song? Not have you quit singing, but have you lost your song? Now, I think all these messages you've heard have fit, going to fit hand in glove this weekend because I'm going to draw from both of my sisters, and we're going to flesh it out some today and a whole bunch this afternoon because it's wonderful to come here and have impartation, and some of you got impartation. How many of you say you got impartation last night? Well, the rest of you will help you out today. But when you go home, don't think that the enemy won't put something out there and say, well, let's see that impartation now. Now, have you lost your song? And I want to give you a couple of litmus tests that will help you determine, have you lost your song? I want to give you three litmus tests. Here they are. If you allow discouragement to determine your demeanor, you will lose your song. You will lose your song if you allow discouragement to determine your demeanor. Now, here's what that means. I, I know you've never done this, but I have, so let me just say that I've done it. Have you ever come in church and God is moving and the worship leader is leading and the congregation is swept up, but you're discouraged so you refuse to sing? Now, I have done that. Has anybody else done that? All right. I mean, I love to dance and hop and skip with the best of you. And then some days, I just want to trip the people that are dancing. I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> we all have discouragement coming to our lives. But if that determines my demeanor, I will lose my song as I walk with God. Because life has a way of just discouraging you. Church can have a way of discouraging you. You can have a way of discouraging you. We call it looking in the mirror. <laughs> you know, I'm tucked in, fluffed in, done everything I can, push up, pull out, spray up, tuck, nip. I've done it all that I can. But let me tell you what I have to do before I preach most days. And I shared this with somebody the other day so they'll know I told them this in private too. I will say, well, Mary Ann was fabulous. Wow, June was great. Lord, don't give her another word in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and then I can go to bed and say, what do I have to say? 
Who am I to say anything? And then I have to get up and look in the mirror and say, you are an anointed woman of God. You have been called to preach this gospel, teach this gospel. You're going out. You're going to look as good as you can because I think you, whatever you can't do with anointing, fix up with looks, girls. But I'm here to tell you that I walked out and I today said, I am an anointed woman of God. I'm going to preach the gospel, teach the gospel, do, and God, when I step up there, I believe faith is going to arise, and you're going to move in this house, and the word is going to become alive to us and not be words on a page. So if discouragement determines your demeanor, you'll never keep a song, because we live in a discouraging world, just a discouraging world. Litmus test two, so I can move a little rapidly. When we allow changing circumstances to change our convictions. When we allow changing circumstances to change our convictions. Now here's what that means. Life changes at the drop of a hat. Yes or no? Now let's just have a little laugh. There was a farmer whose only horse ran away. Oh, that was bad. No, that was good. The next morning it returned bringing three wild horses. Oh, that was good. No, that's bad. The farmer's son tried to ride one of the horses, fell off and broke his leg. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. The following day the military officials came to draft him, saw the broken leg and passed him by. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. The officer had the flu and the son got sick. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. He met a nurse and fell in love with her and got married. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. She's ugly as sin. No. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good because she's nearly as rich as Bill Gates. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. Turns out she's a control freak, won't give him a cent to spend. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's good. She brought him a big house, fancy cars, and servants. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. The house burnt down. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. She was in it, and he was her sole heir. humorous to us, but listen, it, it changes like this. I watched Mary Ann Brown preach this weekend, and I listened to what she'd been through for the last year, and I've watched this woman's ministry through the years, and you almost want to say, why? You want to dwell there, because circumstances come at you, whether you're a child of God or not. It's just that when you're a child of God, they don't control the final destiny. Now, what has gotten me through that, allowing circumstances not to dictate life to me, are some non-negotiables that I have in my life. Some non-negotiables. And here are my non-negotiables. And this is where you're going to sit and just kind of tie in. The Holy Spirit had something to say. Number one is the Bible is the Word of God. That's non-negotiable. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It doesn't have some parts of it are right and some aren't. The Bible is the Word of God. And that's how I make my decisions. Now, as I was coming down to Florida, uh, I had had someone call me that I'd met a couple years ago, did not know them well. Uh, they lived in a state different from me, but because I was coming this way, was, was able to drive to where I was and meet me part of the way. And here's why. It was a pastor's wife, and they had called, and we thought maybe they were having trouble with their church and wanted to talk to us. And she immediately starts and says, we need your help, because she said, I have gotten involved in a sexual relationship with another woman. Pastor's wife. Now, listen, I hear a lot of things. I'm willing to walk with people, but here, her next words were what stunned me. But I really don't want to give her up. And I said, well, how about you call me tomorrow and let's just talk as women. She calls me the next day and she said, I said, have you talked to her this morning? I've talked to her this morning. I asked her if she'd run away with me. And she said, but if we ran away, you'd have to leave your children and your husband and never see them again. And I told her I would do that. And I am sitting, there's a woman who preaches, leads worship. And I said to her, you cannot make a decision based on what your flesh longs for. I hear people say, I, I couldn't help myself. I'm just going to come down for one minute, okay? This is what cracks me up. 
People do this. They call it, they, they say, I fell into immorality. You don't fall into it. You don't wake up my bed one day. Oh, how did I get here? <laughs> and here's what, here's what happens. Sorry, I'm going to have to use you. Put your Bible away. We keep edging toward that. She knew the months ago she had started feeling this. And knew that she needed to run from it. And she waited until she got like this and said, Oh, God. Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Oh, help me, Lord. Oh, God, help me. See what they miss when they're not here in person? Now, if she had a non-negotiable that the Word of God determines my behavior, she would not be in that situation. Now, I'm away from my husband a lot. I tell him, you don't ever have to worry about me having an affair. I am too tired and too old. And he really made me feel good. He said, darling, some people take anybody. I said, except you. But listen, I have determined that I do not want the Lord's name dragged through the newspaper because Barbara Benton had an urge. I have an urge to walk this thing out and bring honor to his name. The word of God makes my decisions because emotions will lead you down all crimes of past. That's why we have church splits. Now, sometimes they're of God, and that's another sermon another day, but... They're not of God when you think you know more than the pastor and you get six other people to agree with you. See, and we just go in this emotion. The Word of God will determine your demeanor, and it has to be a non-negotiable. My second non-negotiable is that salvation is a conviction. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I can't believe we're having to say that in churches now, but I'm having to say that in churches. Now, I do a lot of different denominations, and I can't believe the people who said, I know, but we don't want anybody to feel bad. How many you know truth will set you free, but baby girl, you feel bad first because you realize what you were until His glory came and set you free. He is the only way. Now, that goes back to my conviction of the Word of God because He said the only way to the Father is through the Son. No other name can anybody be saved. But we don't want people to feel bad. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm not making anybody feel bad. And so Jesus Christ is the only way. Now, we have an assault of books against that. I have never seen an assault on Christianity like we see that ever, ever. I was in an airport the other day, and on the front where they stand the books up so they draw your eye, there were four books, all of which were things like the Da Vinci Code, and it is duh, Vinci Code. That's why it's called duh. The Jesus Papers, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not even going to tell you the whole name of one because I can't use the C word because June will get a hold of me if I do and it wouldn't be appropriate. But it said, lose weight, and I'm going to use a different word than what they use. Lose weight, have sex, find God. And I thought, well, this... This must not mean what it says. It meant what it said. They tell you at what age you should start having sex and at what age you're big enough to decide where you want to go spiritually. See, and there's just an assault against that. And I'm here to tell you that I agree with the church that put on their sign because of this thing about the Jesus family now in the tomb. It's just an assault. I like the church sign that said, Jesus is risen, no bones about it. It's just an assault. And when you walk with God today, girlfriend, you're just going to face the assault. But I will walk with God. For in His presence, there is fullness of joy. Just fullness of joy. Another, another conviction. I believe that the church is God's chosen vessel. Well, I don't know about the church. The church is what He set up. Now, you know the cool thing about that? We get to go with people we don't want to. I get amazed at the people who are saying, I've just given up on church. I just stay at home. 
I just go to bedside assembly and listen to Pastor Pillow, and I get just about as much out of it. I'll go back somewhere I've been two years ago, and I'll say, where's so-and-so? Well, they dropped out. Where are they going? They're not going anywhere right now. The church is imperfect. Now, look at somebody say, she's talking about you, girl. I don't like some of what I see. Some people don't like me when they see me. They're lost. I just look at it like that. They're lost. But listen, the church is God's instrument. He uses different personalities. God uses big people and little people and Yankees occasionally and Southerners all the time. And, and God, God does that. But he can do that. He's God. I believe in the church. And until I walk over in the portals of glory, I'm going to be a part of the church. Flaws and all, I'm going to be part of the church. And so that's a non-negotiable in my life. I am going to do that. I have a nego- uh, I'm non-negotiable about the Holy Spirit. He is holy. Now, why do you think I do not have a shirt on cut down to here today? I have been trying to shop for the last month for dresses, and they are cut to your gizzard. I'm serious. I have, I've just been unable. I even tried since I was here. Just go home and rest. You won't find one. And when they're cut low enough for me to show cleavage, they are low. Now listen. God when I walk out in public. Now, I'm not going to clothesline you here, but I'm just here to tell you, folks, here's what fashion is saying now. Women should show as much as they can. That's fashion now. And I have just decided that if you see me in this outfit next time and the next time and the next time, I'll wear it before I'll buy into what fashion is that does not bring glory to God. I will not do it. I want to honor him. He's a Holy Spirit. Now we go back and we can tie these convictions together. Like the woman I was telling you about that I met on the way here. Trying to to tell her you need to follow what God says. A Holy Spirit will say to me, you feel this, get out of this thing. And like Joseph, lose your coat, not your character. I don't want to lose my character. I lose my platform for God when I lose my character. And He is a Holy Spirit, and we're afraid to address some of these things. I'm here to tell you, He is still holy. Not legalistic, but holy. That's why I told you I quit watching a couple of my favorite programs because they got so where they glorified everything God hated. I just told my husband, I'm not watching it anymore. I'm not. It's not entertainment anymore. It is an assault against God now. He's a Holy Spirit. And he will say to you, don't walk there. Don't walk there. Don't go there. Don't say this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And if you will listen, you will grow into a woman of faith and character and power and anointing. But the greatest anointing will come through obedience. Where God says, I can trust you at a new level. I can trust you at a new level. I'm tired of seeing us on the front news. I left Birmingham and one of the pastor of the biggest churches. Picture on the front page the day I left. Having an affair for 20 years. And finally the woman said, well, I'm just going to tell him. He said, don't ruin my family. I liked her response. You ruined your family. Now for 20 years, don't tell me he never heard the voice of God. But ladies, there can come a point where you're so saying, well, I'll take that word and I won't take that one and I will take this one till you won't even hear anymore and your flesh will walk all over the place and you will lose that power like Samson did in his life. Character is more important than charisma. Oh, she's got such a dynamic ministry. That's great, but I want her character. See, I'm not, I'm not trying to butter these women up. I don't know when I'll see June and Marianne again, but I'm here to tell you one thing I know. They're women of character. 
And I'll take a whooping from them if I need to because I know they're out to bring me into being a woman of character and a mighty woman of God. I'm telling you, it's a non-negotiable that he is a Holy Spirit. And you can and then go lay into bed with somebody and come back and do it next Sunday. Give me a break. Are you mad at me yet? I forgive you. You can't have fullness of joy living like that. You weren't even created in the spirit to be able to have fullness of joy and do that. So that is a non-negotiable in my life. Now, okay, we have seven minutes. So how many of you listen fast? How many of you give me 10? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. It's just the way it is. Now listen, listen to me. I, I promise you I won't go over. I know how long the tape is. I won't go over. The greatest way of showing that you are a Holy Spirit-filled woman is not because you speak in tongues, but you have a controlled tongue. I understand why the Bible says despise not prophesying. We're over here prophesying, and then we're going over here and talking about the pastor and his wife and the three people we don't like and who does she think she is on the worship team and I don't like the way they did this and they did that. Let me tell you something. I want my tongue to glorify him and I've had to bite it so much it's about that long. But I'll tell you what, it can preach the gospel that long as long as it's under the control of the Holy Spirit. we got to watch what we say. Now, the flip side of that is the positive side. Speak what the Holy Spirit says, speak. I'll tell you what was so cool this morning. I was watching Ann in prayer. And June just went into a blessing over her life that was powerful. Did you not feel great when she did that? Now, I bet you if June looked long enough, she could see a few things wrong with her. But what did that blessing do for you this morning? I could just see her spirit begin to be lifted. What would happen if you began to bless your husband? Well, I blessed him out a few times. No, I'm talking about blessing. <laughs> Now, I'm a perfectionist by nature. My husband was a pastor for many years. He's a chaplain uh, in, in corporate America now, full-time ministry doing that. But he was a pastor for many years. In the first few years, I'd say, well, you know, he should have said that. And he should have said that. And, oh, my mercy, his shirt's hanging out there. Oh, my Lord. I let him out with one brown shoe and, and just, you know, and I'd go home and I'd say, you know, if you'd have said this, and I did this. Well, if you'd have just done that, and if you did this, and I didn't realize what I was doing him. Now, nobody had trained me. I'm trained now. And, and I, I didn't realize this is what was happening to him. Because he didn't think I thought he was a good pastor. And then I learned how to bless my husband. And then I would say things like, honey, I'm sure that was a good sermon today, but I couldn't hear it for looking at the vessel. <laughs> I tried not to look at you, darling, and hear the word, but just looking at you was just hard to hear the word. And I watched him go, Manly man, <laughs> super pastor. God might want you to bless somebody you don't even like to bring a life to them because God is hope-filled about people. Don't be so quick to write Ichabod over people. Let him do that writing. You bless them. I don't mean not talking about things like we have today, that some things need to be talked about, but you could do that in a way to bless them and say, God has a better life for you than this. I'm not talking about not calling a, a spade a spade. And so we need to let the Holy Spirit guide our tongue. All right, we're, we're done with this first and only closing that I'll have. Because what I want us to see, I think I only gave you two of the litmus tests, and the third litmus test is don't allow circumstances to ruin relationships. Now, I don't know about where you live, but I can only tell you where I live. When people leave my church, and I've watched a lot of them leave in the, just the two years we've been in it, why is it they can't even go to the grocery store and see each other without going to another aisle? Because I can't see you now. You don't go to my church. Sisters, this ought not be. You're my sister. Now, I'm assembly of God, and I don't really care where you go. You are my sister. And we allow it to just ruin relationships, and then we don't have any joy. Well, I was fine until, until he came to be the pastor. Well I, well, I was fine until my husband got up, and he didn't tell me I look gorgeous today. 
Well, my children didn't rise up and call me blessed like Proverbs 31. Let me help you out with that. They do it when they're 35 and they have their own and they're driving them nuts. And they'll say, boy, was I blessed, Mom. (laughs) Not when they're 16 and you're saying, no, we don't do that in this house. So those are my convictions. And I want to tell you and ask you one final time, have you lost your song? Because do you live in resignation? God's never going to do anything. Regret, I can't get past this mistake I had. Or can you be a woman who says, I have a song. And here's how you do that. You look up to God, first of all. Because he's the only reason you have a song. I listen to people. Well, I don't like the songs they sang today, so I didn't sing. Well, they weren't for you. I get amazed at us. Have you ever thought about saying, Did you like it today, Dad? Did you like it, Father? I lifted it up to you. It was for you. I mean, I didn't like the tune too much, but hey, how'd you like it today? Did you get anything out of church today, God? I didn't get a thing out of church. Did you get anything out of church just because I was there today, God? You look up to God because He is the... Because when I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how he raised me, filled me with the Holy Ghost. When I think about the Lord, it'll make you want to shout hallelujah. You look up to God, and then the second thing is you grow up. Now, don't be offended, but you put your big girl panties on. Because the enemy doesn't want you to survive in this hour. Or maybe he just wants you to survive. God wants you to thrive. And you've got a God in you that's big enough to thrive if it's dark and you're in captivity. Because one day he's going to come on the scene and say, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Oh, they're good plans. And one day you're going to come out of this captivity, girlfriend, and you're going to have a new song and a testimony. And that which was meant for bad, you're going to defeat the enemy. Because I'm here to tell you, I'm going to tell every woman I can, you might have been sexually abused as a child, but you can be whole when you're 55 years old. And Daddy never apologized because if I waited on Daddy to do it, I'd still be bleeding. But Jesus said, I'll heal you if you'll let me. I'll heal you. And I'm here to tell you, if you'll believe the promises and walk them, then you'll have a song. And I want to sing a song to him. Would you stand with me? And I want to be a song. Hallelujah.